0: To this Halloween special from Neozazz.com, Matt's Crummy Horror Comics Collection, part of our 2020 Halloween celebration. I am Matt, and in this episode, I will be going over Scooby Apocalypse issue number one. Before I start, let me explain this Halloween feature for this year just a bit. Basically, I want to answer the question what is Matt's Crummy Horror Comics Collection? About two years ago, I did a short-run series on as called Matt's Crummy Comics Collection, and each episode featured one of my obscure or not-so-mainstream or just-plain-strange comics from this eclectic collection. Part of that collection that got featured from time to time was something from my horror-slash-Halloween-themed titles. For 2020, I've raised a series from the dead, if you will, and we'll be focusing entirely on that horror and Halloween themed comic portion of the collection. It's kind of like the return of I Have Questions from two years ago, but this time it's Matt's Crummy Comics Collection, or in this case, Matt's Crummy Horror Comics Collection. Now, when I say horror and Halloween as the theme of the comics, that definition might be a little broad. Well, maybe not Halloween, that's pretty straightforward, but the horror part. There are straight-up horror comics. I mean, there's bloods, guts, disturbing themes, and some of those will show up here. But then there's the stories with the horror lean to them. The short runs, the one-off horror slants on existing titles. And I say that because this episode features the latter, and that is Scooby Apocalypse. If you're not familiar with this or you haven't figured it out just from the title already, this is a reimagining of the Scooby-Doo series. It was part of the Hanna-Barbera Beyond Reimagining by DC Comics in 2016, or at least one of the original parts of it. The concept launched with this title, Scooby Apocalypse, along with Future Quest, a reimagining of Johnny Quest, Wacky Raceland, a wacky races reimagining that was actually featured on the original Matt's Crummy Comics Collection series, and a reimagining of the Flintstones. Later, they added a few more titles. They added Future Quest Presents, Dastardly and Mutley, The Rough and Ready Show, The Jetsons, and Exit Stage Left to Snagglepuss Chronicles. And that last one was not a joke. It was a story about Snagglepuss getting wrapped up in the McCarthyism communist witch hunts of the 1950s. But we're talking about Scooby Apocalypse in this episode. And this reimagining featured the original gang, and they're still solving mysteries. And in this post apocalyptic world, or what it will become in this story, Scooby and the gang are trying to solve the mystery of finding a cure for the world full of these mutated creatures. So let's dive into the story and we're going to start off with the cover and I'm going to focus on one cover because there were seven covers produced for this release, but I'm going to focus mainly on the one that I bought and it is the, I don't even know if it has a name, but I would call it probably the, the, the standard cover, the common cover it's the cover with the whole gang all together, and that will make a little more sense when I talk about the other covers, if that hasn't already blown the lead. So, looking at these reimagined characters, they are right here, front and center, in her face, and we're going to start off with the title character. We'll talk about Scooby. I still a brown Great Dane with dark spots, black spots, maybe dark brown. I'm not quite sure exactly what color they were ever supposed to be, now I think about it. Along with being the dog, the 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 typical design of him we're used to seeing, maybe a little more world realism in it, even with keeping it in the comic world. He's also wearing a device on his head. Now I'm going to jump ahead in the story a little bit to help explain this because it'll make the other notes that I am going to share about this device make more sense. It's called an emoti goggle. And what it is, it's just, it's a one piece it's almost like oh what is it uh almost like a monocle it's over his right eye but it does go back over around his neck and it is projecting holographic eyebrows on him to help express emotions I suppose or feelings or or his uh, reaction but then it's also projecting these bubbles it's it's almost like um uh, uh, emojis on a phone now uh, you see one that he looks there's a scared face there's a nervous face there's a question mark there's a picture of a pizza there's a dog paw there's a dog bone there's some more pizza <laughs> there's a smiley face there's about 30 of these floating away they're they're coming from his a, a what looks like a projection lens or something or maybe an antenna on the goggle and floating away off off page you can't see where they're landing that's just scooby we got more to talk about here so shaggy Shaggy, they can't really talk about one without the other. He, of course, is by Scooby's side in this, and now Shaggy has jumped from hippie to hipster. It's actually, kind of like that. The alliteration is that right? I'm not sure. But now he's got instead of the scraggly chin scruff, he's got this well cloth beard. He has waxed, curled end mustache. He's wearing a flannel shirt over his trademark green T-shirt. He's got a sleeve tattoo, at least on one arm. Can't see the other arm in this picture. He's got the stretch piercings in each ear. I'm not sure what they're called. They probably have a name, but I don't have them. So I have no idea what they're called. And that's uh, that's about it for him. Otherwise, he's skinny. He's blonde. He's just went from hippie to hipster, which kind of makes sense in the modern age. Velma, she's also on the cover as well. And again, she has got the... Uh, skirt the i guess brown skirt and the orange turtleneck uh, in this particular uh, picture she's wearing a red very light jacket i don't recall if she wore one in the cartoon i don't think she did from what i can remember she's pretty much got the same hairdo if not the exact same hairdo she is wearing glasses but instead of them being clear lens glasses they're kind of these blue opaque they're I think they're strategically colored to be exact same color as the technology that is being projected on Scooby through his emoji goggles, and we'll we'll find out why soon. And she has got a gaming controller in her hand, but she's also got a drone next to her. It looks like it's about to launch, so it's a more of a drone to control a drone and play a game. I did I did look at this at first and think she was a gamer because the drone kind of got lost in the. Uh, chaos of the background but i do see it now or i did see it when i put my notes together so and it will also make sense to her character as well daphne of course she is on here she is wearing her trademark purple but instead of it being a dress she's got a purple um top on it's not completely it's not a tank top but the sleeves are really short they only cover like a quarter of her shoulder then she's got kind of purple combat uh, not combat a camouflage pants on and then this military belt full of gadgets and a shoulder holster all purple so she's got the purple motif but it's not quite the summer dress that she used to have in the cartoon and she's holding a gun i have no idea how to explain this gun actually i do but it doesn't make sense we're gonna try think of a roach clip you know what a roach clip is You might know it from testing electronic devices, or you might know it for another reason. I'm not going to judge. Picture that about the size of your arm on the end of a gun, and then wires off the back of that going into a backpack she's wearing. That's the weapon she's holding. I'm going to throw out a spoiler here and tell you this weapon does not show up nor get fired in this issue, so I don't know what it does, and I've not yet read ahead to find out what it does, and I'm kind of curious. So, well, that's Daphne. Let's move on here. We got Fred, of course. Fred is here. He has got a white shirt on. It is a short sleeve. I don't know if that's what he wears in the cartoon or not. But a short sleeve with a purpose, because you can see this tribal tattoo across his bicep. I should mention, this is Buff Fred. This guy's been working out. This one. I don't know what the other guy in the cartoon is doing, but this guy is doing the complete opposite. He's also got a military belt or a utility belt of sorts on. He is got uh, this headgear that is covering his ears. It looks like it might wrap around the back of his head. And it also has a set of goggles on it uh, that are flipped up on the top of his head right now. And he's holding two guns. They're handguns. And the only description that I can give you are the guns from the shooting game with the Buzz Lightyear ride at Walt Disney World. I don't even know what that ride's called. All I know is it always a 300-minute wait. So I think I've been on it once in my life. And, but that's what they look like. Because about a billion of my friends get the uh, picture, the on-ride picture, and post it on Facebook. So I've seen uh, these guns a hundred times. That's almost exactly what they look like. Uh, But again, I don't know what they do. Um, These must come up later in a future issue because they're not in this. And that is this cover. Now, I did mention there were seven altogether, and I kind of gave you a hint what they were if you didn't uh, pick up on it. There are hero shots of each character, except for one page where there's two characters that share the page. You can probably figure out who that is. And then a seventh one after that. So the next five, I'll describe real briefly. First one, Daphne. And we get a shot of her in her purple combat gear without the holsters. And, oh, I take it back. It looks like she does have a shoulder holster, but the utility belt that is in the cover is not there. Her cover page. That's really what it is. That's that's her cover page. I don't know what I can add to that. Next one, we have Fred, and this is a little more active Fred. He's taking on something, some kind of, looks like a tree ghost, some kind of monster with huge teeth, and he's about to reach out and and maybe try to rip those teeth out. I should mention, can't believe I failed to mention in my Fred description, of all that that I described him wearing, yes, he has the ascot. If you're wondering, he absolutely has the ascot. It looks a little, little worse for wear, but it's there. It has not left his neck, so... If I gave anyone a bit of a panic by alluding that his Ascot was no longer on and is reimagining, rest assured, it's there in all its glory. So, yeah, that's about all I can say of Fred. The next one is Scooby. He gets his own cover. He's all by himself. Same gear. He's got the, um, the, the <laughs> I call it a monocle, but that's not it. It's the uh, the emoji goggle on. And there's all kinds of uh, emojis floating around again. Much like what I explained before, I can't really see anything too different. There's a little devil smile. Actually, that's different. And his eyebrows are raised. I think he's happy. He is running from a ridiculously large spider. But I think, oh, I see why he's happy. He's got a big Scooby snack clenched in his jaws. So that makes sense. I have a dog. And even if another terrible animal were following her, the fact that she had a snack in her mouth would probably make her smile too. Next one is this is the page where the two heroes share the page. And you knew who it was going to be. It is Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. Really nothing added to Shaggy. This, everything we saw about Shaggy on the other cover is here. And Scooby is the same. It's Scooby-Doo with the emoji goggle. And that's about it. Well, I mean, they're standing on a pile of skulls. I suppose that's worth mentioning. I don't know. how I just almost slipped right past, past that. But otherwise, this <laughs> starts a character design. That's what I was talking. The character design. He's, he's, he's the same as what we just saw. We got the Velma cover. She is in the same outfit, the, the orange sweater, the brown skirt. Oh, she does have orange knee socks. Could we see the knee socks in the other cover? Let me look over and set it aside here. No, we couldn't. That's why I didn't mention it. Cause she is behind something. So they even gave her her trademark knee socks. If that's a trademark. Uh, and this one, she's got headphones on. And she's holding them very tightly to her head. Her eyes are closed. We can see through the glasses now. They still have that blue hue that I mentioned before. And now there's a very large drone. It's It's got to be at least five times as big as one on the first cover. So the drone is going to come into the story somehow. Another spoiler alert, not an issue we're reading. Last but not least, we'll look at the seventh cover. Seventh cover is the inked version, black and white, of the first cover I described. It's before it got colored. So it's black and white. Uh, it says it's, this one has the title, the, the variant. It says it's the adult coloring book variant cover and that is it for the cover. So we are ready to get into this story. So the story, the story starts off telling us it's one year ago and we are in Paris. It's night and we see Velma on the balcony, not far from a fully illuminated Eiffel tower. She's kind of talking slash thinking to herself. She comments on how the people below have no clue that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. She pulls out this little glowing green mechanical disc from her jacket. And we see that as she opens it. There is a little green vial about by the size of a someone's thumb inside there. And we're in the final panel of this one year look back. And we see her holding this device up in the air. And as she does... There are these glowing green somethings in the air. Like they kind of look like spores. And as she's waving that round device in the air and and spreading whatever it is that's in that little vial, she says, I'm gonna do something to save every last one of you and this planet you're destroying. And it ends with a very solemn I hope. Now we flip to the next page. We're in present time for the story. Not sure if it's our time or the future. Kind of get the idea it might be the little bit of the future world here. And we have our title and our credit page. And the official title for issue one is Scooby Apocalypse Waiting for the End of the World. And the credits, we've got Keith Griffin. He's Plot and Breakdown. J.M. Diamante's Dialogue and More Dialogue. Howard Porter, Pencils and Ink. Hi-Fi did the color. Nick J. Knapp did the letters. Brittany Hulzer was the assistant editor. Marie Javins is the editor. It's listed as based as a story concept by Jim Lee and cover by Jim Lee and Alex Sinclair. And, of course, that is the main cover, the one I spent most time describing, the one that I'm looking at right now. So now, like I said, we're in story present, and we have Daphne and Fred walking through a festival. Now, this might be... I'm trying to find a way to describe it. I had an instant description to it, but it might be just towards a limited or I should say regional audience because I immediately saw this and thought it was the look like the electric daisy carnival that they throw here in Orlando and I don't know if this is a traveling festival but I, I I know there's other ones like this you may have seen this you might even have one in your town or maybe this thing does travel it's it's really comes down to it's like burning man with a huge power bill is a lot of lit-up stuff. It usually, most of the events take place at night. Instead of setting a giant Burning Man on fire, you have a giant illuminated figure of some sort, whatever that particular... Uh, whoever was building the centerpiece for that, whatever they made it look like. It's usually a humanoid-type figure, and it's lit up rather than burnt. That is... it's it, This Electric Daisy Parade is exactly what they're doing right now. That's where they're at. And in fact... They even make reference to Burning Man in this, in a sense. They don't say it. I guess there's copyright infringements or trademark infringements maybe, but Daphne has a line. We're here because things happened at Blazing Man. So, I mean, doesn't take a rocket science to figure out the reference she's making there. Well, I find out real quick in this what Daphne and Fred's roles are in this reimagining, and they are a self-produced mystery Hunter TV series, Fred being the technical guy, the cameraman, and Daphne being the host. And we also find out it used to be on a major network, and now they've been bumped to the Knitting Channel, which I thought was just like they're talking about a rinky-dink channel, but it says more than once in this that they have been seen on the Knitting Channel. So apparently in the future there's a Knitting Channel. So fingers crossed that comes true for all you knitting folks out there. They are at this festival or this celebration, whatever, this gathering, let's call it that. They're looking for a mystery informant that has what they say is vital information to save the planet. Meanwhile, across the what, the courtyard, whatever you call this, what, the, the celebration yard, there is a hipster and his great Dane who actually recognized the host from the Knitting Channel mystery show. He mentions that he watches it when he visits his grandmother the dog is giving the hipster a cold so- shoulder. The hipster pleads, come on, Scoob. I put my job on the line, taking you out of the complex for a walk. If I get out the headset, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb, and everyone here will stare at you. Scooby takes a little look around at the festival attendees and says, right, me? And the hipster's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I see your point. And he puts the emoji goggles on. And as an additional feature to this device, we now learn that he puts in his receiver contacts before the two of them Go off and search for some food. Cut to the inside of the complex. And I'm not just saying that. This is what this thing is called. It is the complex. It is bolted, and the letters are capitalized as they show up in these panels in the comic. The hipster and his dog are being watched as they walk through the festival from the security cameras inside the complex. The security team alerts Dr. Velma Dinkley that Rogers, that is the hipster's last name, we now learn, is out with subject number 24602 again. And she quickly reminds him, oh, yes, the dog that we call Scooby-Doo. Well, Dr. Dinkley insists let them be, and they're going to get a stern warning when they return. She announces that she's headed to her quarters, and the security guards offer her an escort there. She insists on walking alone, and as she turns a corner, she whispers that she wouldn't want to see any of them see that she's about to betray the complex and risk her life in the process. Back outside, Fred and Thelma have moved quite a distance away from the festival. We can still see it, but they are not in the middle of all the hoopla. They are what looks like kind of in the middle of a little bit of a desert. There's some stones, some flowers. It looks very brown and sandy. They're at the designated spot. They're supposed to meet their informant, who is now running late. And just about when Fred's had enough of the waiting... A rock lifts off the ground with the aid of three mechanical arms, and Velma crawls out of a tunnel, clearly from the complex, because all the lighting and the metal and everything just matches all the corridors we saw her walk down. Fred is startled by that, screams, mole people, and throws his camera at Velma's head, hitting her, knocking her to the ground, and passed out cold. I guess not passed out, I guess she was knocked out cold. From there, we go back to the festival, and we see Scooby and Rogers trying to find some pizza. And the closest thing they find is a stand that's selling rice crust with tofu cheese and tomato sauce. And neither of them are very happy about it. Something triggers inside Scooby's emoti goggles, which I'm going to struggle saying this entire Episode, I think because I keep pausing to think about what that word is and he turns and we see what uh, in, inside one of the uh, like emoji bubbles emoji bubbles that's another thing that's tricky too uh, they, I think they came up with this term before emoji was a term so anyway one of the emojis that that shoot out of out of Scooby's goggles is a picture of Velma and he starts to growl and then very soon takes off and Rogers has to chase right after him. So now we're back out in that round rendez- rendezvous point. That's kind of in the desert area. And Velma is slowly coming to just as Fred and Daphne are about to introduce themselves. Scooby arrives flaring, barking, snarling at Fred and Daphne. And Velma explains that his interface perceived the camera throw as an attack. And Scooby's come to her aid. So once he tells him to heal, he does, with Enroque, everything's cool, Rogers finally arrives, he quickly recognizes Dr. Velma Dinkley, and he's really confused why she's out there, because in his words, she never leaves the complex, Then he's further confused by why she's out there with the host of Mysterious Mysteries, so now we get the name of the series. And I'm curious, again, spoiler alert to this episode, we don't see the mystery machine but I am wondering if we see it, if it's going to be retrofitted much like a, a news van or maybe even a storm chaser's van, but for mysteries or for paranormal. Kind of wish I had seen it and kind of wish I had looked it up to share. But that's really not the, the point of this is to review the uh, the issue as it is in one episode. I'm going to have to find that out by myself later. Velma said she can explain all this once they head into the complex, which they do. very kind of very abruptly, but we have a story to tell here, so I'm not going to. Not going to quibble too much about it. As they walk, once inside the complex, Velma explains that this is the center of something called Project Elysium. It's a project started by four doctors for the ultimate survival of the human race. Velma immediately hands a, a clipboard full of documented evidence to Daphne as proof about everything that she has said and is about to explain. Rogers... Questions all this, having never heard of any of it in his time in this complex, Velma reminds him that he worked as a dog trainer, so there's going to be a lot he doesn't know about this place. She does continue by reading his personnel file to everyone and learns that his first name is Norville, to which he immediately requests that everyone call him Shaggy instead. I was wondering when this is going to come in, especially when they introduced him as Rogers and addressed him as Rogers for pretty much half the book at this point. Velma continues to talk about this Project Elysium. The main thing behind the active part of the plan was that nanites were released into the world to infect humanity with a technovirus that was going to restructure and rebuild all of humanity. The technovirus's original intent was to weed out man's more baser instincts. And by that, they were talking greed, anger, uh, violence, and it was going to provide a biological template for a more abundant and peaceful world, but that idea ballooned considerably beyond that. And Daphne concurs with everything Velma just said, because she is reading the documentation that was provided to her and adds the point that Velma was one of the people that spread this virus one year ago, specifically in Paris. Thelma continues and explains that after the nanites were spread all over the world, it wasn't until then that she learned that not only were these negative emotions bred out, but there was also a very strong built-in passivity to the virus, more or less just making people dominant to what the four doctors had planned next. Now, the only good news in all this, if there is any, is that the virus is currently still dormant, and with it being a techno virus, it isn't going to activate until the original four doctors of Project Elysium and other activation codes. That is why Velma contacted Daphne and her show to help stop this from happening. Daphne is, for lack of a better word, absolutely furious at this point, and she just starts to verbally attacking Velma for her involvement. It even gets to the point where it looks like she's almost physical. It looks like she's about to, if not, have her in a headlock. It just might be the way it's drawn that I'm not able to really confirm that she's being physically violent. But when we get to that point, there is a alarm that goes off throughout the entire facility and the security doors that surround the room they're in all slam shut. Velma explains that this only could happen if that activation protocol she just said thankfully hadn't started yet has been initiated she doesn't know how but she is hoping this is a glitch in the complex's system and not the actual activation she starts to try to apologize for her role in all this and as she does the power to the entire complex goes out Daphne asks is that a good thing or a bad thing Thelma answers I wish I knew Miss Blake I wish I knew and on that, we go outside to a full-page picture of the attendees of the festival now turned into hideous monsters absolutely destroying the town. And that is issue one. So let me take a closer look here and tell you kind of the—well, I'm going to kind of spoil my review a little bit. There's not a whole lot bad I like in this. First thing I do—this There's, there's, this is always my go-to with any kind of comic— um, in this case, the color palette in this is absolutely amazing. I think that it has a lot to do with the characters. Shaggy's green. And in this case, he's got a blue plaid shirt. Scooby's brown. Velma's orange. Uh Fred is yellow, blue, and or I mean sorry, white, blue and red. Uh Daphne is um purple with a little bit of green. So you have You already have, whenever you have a character in there, you have some color on here. The color they're using for this festival, these these panels are so fun to look at. There's so much going on. The artwork is fantastic. It is not, by any means, the Hanna-Barbera animation. If that's what you were picturing as you were listening to this, that is not at all the case whatsoever. I love the character designs. You could have, without putting the title on this handed me each one of those individual covers, I would have been able to tell you who they were and still think that they looked pretty cool. Save for maybe the ascot. Uh, I like, uh, the, the story. Uh, well, it's in the review. I'm really liking the story so far. I like the amount of dialogue, not a lot of, descri- in fact, I don't think there's any descriptor panels in this except for when it said one year ago in Paris. In fact, I cannot find any narration. That's what I was looking for. Any narration, uh, panels it's all dialogue and it's at a good pace maybe a little fast but i'm getting the idea of uh i mean i got the storyline and then the the final panel talk about colors artwork and intrigue i mean i'm going to try to describe here top left corner we got a blood moon we got three gargoyle gar, gargoyles gar, not garg socks three gargoyle gar, gar, i did it again gargoyles carrying maybe three victims or yeah, they look like they're still humans. I don't think they've been mutated yet. Maybe they're going to be carrying them off over a flaming wreckage of the centerpiece of this festival is no longer glowing. This is burning or maybe uh what was it? Uh, um, what did they call it? I'm going to call burneded burned man. Cause I can't remember what they said. And then there's on the very right side of the page is clearly a werewolf. I mean, there is no denying that's a werewolf. He is standing next to, a very hideous-looking version of the creature from the Black Lagoon, who's flanked by a mummy, a kind of a gorilla, and then a, a, a full wolf—not just a werewolf—and then another kind of creature there. There's kind of like this devilish creature guy with horns in the background. There's a Nosferatu-looking dude behind the creature from the Black Lagoon. There's so much going on in here, and it's—I—I am I, very looking forward to see what happens next. And that goes into my review, which kind of just, it's been a while. It's been two years since I've done this. I kind of blew the, blew the uh, anticipation away with that one. So my rating, I go from crummy to classic. The scale means nothing. It's just, you know, unless it's crummy. And I say crummy, or unless It's a classic. This is in between. We're not at a Classic yet, but it is a... I'm going to give it a good start to the story, which is very close to Classic. It's not right next door, but there ain't a whole lot in between it, and it's quite a distance away from Crummy. Like I said, I'm really intrigued, especially by this last panel. I'm going to be reading the rest of these, which I do have, and maybe I'll revisit this if we do this again in future Halloweens. But for now, that is this episode and that is the end of this edition this first edition for Halloween 2020 Matt's Crummy Horror Comics Collection Matt's Crummy Horror Comics Collection and another chapter in our 2020 Halloween celebration. So check back all this month for more Halloween fun coming, including more of my crummy comics featured, as well as Halloween episodes from our regular series. Until then, check out our social media pages. We're NeoZaz Podcasts on Facebook, NeoZaz on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, check out all the work we do, not only at Halloween, but during the entire year at neozaz.com. Everything we've done for over 10 years now is online for free to everyone, including all the Halloween specials of the season's past. So, lastly, let me say one more time, I am Matt for Newsaz.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.